Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. Today, an estimated one in seven adults have chronic kidney disease. In 2019, former President Donald Trump signed an executive order directing the Department of Health and Human Services under Secretary Alex Azar to take bold action in the way kidney disease is diagnosed, treated, and prevented. The Advancing American Kidney Health Initiative included efforts to drive more dialysis into the home. In November, Azar joined the board of Interwell Health, a kidney disease management company that partners with physicians focused on value-based care. I recently sat down with Azar and Interwell's chief medical officer, Dr. George Hart, to talk about the firm's efforts. I started by asking Azar how he thinks the Kidney Health Initiative is going. I think there's really strong foundational reasons for promise here and optimism because we've seen such tremendous interest in so many different entities and so much capital coming in who are interested in providing value-based care. So moving from the the old world of procedure-based reimbursement for center-based dialysis to do exactly what we tried to set out as the goal in the Advancing American Kidney Care Initiative, which is how do we align incentives so nephrologists and and transplant centers and dialysis providers all work together to try to prevent and slow the spread of chronic kidney disease so that we don't get advanced CKD? And how do we prevent people from moving into dialysis? And if they have to go on dialysis, drive them, help to create incentives and at least education to get them into home-based dialysis and create incentives to move people into transplantation, even preemptive before dialysis, but certainly if on dialysis, creating more organs availability as well as incentives and pathways. The incentives are all lined up. The system is there tremendous interest from from the players in the marketplace wanting to move to this new approach and model because they know it's the right thing for patients so i think the most important thing is the traditional players did not resist this and say no we won't move to this but rather said that is the right place to be and we're supportive of it i i think you have to look at this in the context of the fact that Five or six years ago, we started getting our bumps and bruises in the ESCO program. Uh, so if you go back five or six years, nephrologists really didn't, couldn't spell value-based care. Now we have a way more sophisticated uh, population of nephrologists who are embracing this change in healthcare. They're more sophisticated consumers. They are building out the operational infrastructure that they need in their practice to be successful. And shifting this model from just dialysis patients to going further upstream with late stage CKD patients just makes sense to providers. You know, in restoring nephrologists as the centerpiece and the cornerstone of how patients enter these programs, again, I, I think just allows for a better fluidity within a practice on how to care for patients. And Secretary Azar, you've, said, you've stated that it, this is the future of healthcare and there is no turning back. Are you, and you were pretty confident in your comments earlier that, that this is the way to go, that, that actually providers are really embracing this. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely convinced 
even more so now that this is the way of the future. The adoption has been very high. Uh, nephrologists want to be playing in this space of prevent. They, they want to do right by their patients. They want to prevent people from CKD advancing. They want people to have the option of home-based dialysis if they need it. They want people to get transplanted. They see that change in quality of life. They just haven't always had the, the tools built around them, as Dr. Hart mentioned earlier. And that's been another thing that's happened in the last couple of years. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm on the board of Interwell Health, and Dr. Hart is the chief medical officer there. But uh, what we do and what competitors do is provide the infrastructure to allow nephrologists to actually practice in value-based care. So whether it's having a a kidney care nephrology-specific electronic medical record, having high-end data and analytics to allow you to focus your interventions on the right patients, having the ability to deliver home-based dialysis or connect to those who provide dialysis, connecting to transplant centers, getting the best pharmaceutical interventions and nutrition and behavioral interventions to prevent CKD progression, all of those tools now are being assembled by Interwell and by others that really empower nephrologists to practice medicine in a very different way. And Dr. Hart, there have been some challenges in driving dialysis into the home, at least early on. I've heard some clinicians tell me that um, patients sometimes present themselves in an emergency room situation and they are so far along in the disease um, that they really can't grasp the prospect of home treatment. It's really a tough idea for them to get their head around. So how can value-based care and perhaps more specifically what Interwell is doing, get around that, getting to those people and getting them into the, getting them into the idea early that this is maybe a better option for them? So it's a great question, and it's been a frustration, I think, for many of us for a long time because we all see the, the benefits of being able to do dialysis at home, uh, better quality of life, you feel better about yourself, you're stable, you're able to stay engaged as a family member, you know, working, you know, doing all the things that the rest of us sort of take for granted. What value-based care has done is, is it's expanded the playbook for us. We are able to go further upstream and educate patients at an earlier stage in their disease process. It expands our ability to take educators whether they're a nurse, whether they're a social worker or a dietitian, and leverage their expertise and their familiarity with the disease process to talk to patients, giving them way more time to understand what's going on, understand all of their options. Anytime you do that and you take a better informed person to make difficult decisions, they make appropriate decisions for them instead of being rushed, instead of being, you know, uh, making all these decisions in the heat of the moment. And what we find is that patients really do make a decision that they can commit to. So they don't waver in their commitment to this and the success rates of home dialysis in that setting are better. And it's not just home dialysis, correct? There are other things that can be done in the home, right? Absolutely. Uh, and we lean into those at Interwell. So we have the ability to do televisits. We have the ability to actually provide apps that patients can access on their own. They can look at educational videos, uh, you know, in the comfort of their home, surrounded by family. So we, we take what's a very comfortable environment from them and let them use it as a way to jump off into better education.
And Diane, um, one thing to, to amplify something Dr. Hart talked about, I, I don't know that he used this term here, but I've heard him refer to it as the soft landing, which is, you know, whenever we have somebody progressing through CKD and they're not getting adequate care in that progression so that you know, obviously you're trying to prevent the progression, but where you can't do so, educating so that the patient knows what to expect, what to look for, so that they're able to transition from that CKD progression into home-based care instead of presenting for the first time in the emergency room with a hard landing, going into then center-based dialysis, and maybe hopefully at a later date, progressing back to what would have been the optimal start into home-based dialysis. That Value-based care really, it it provides the actual financial and economic incentives for everybody to work together around those, identify the patients that are advancing, the ones that are likely going to need dialysis, get them and their caregivers educated, and get them ready for this transition in care. So the first time you meet them isn't when they present in a crash situation or a hard landing, as Dr. Hart might call it, in the ER. And that's a much better way for nephrology to be practiced. To both of you, are we seeing medical schools becoming um, more attuned to moving care into the home? We hear about what's happening on the clinical side, um, on the payer side, but are the medical schools getting their heads around this too? I'll defer to Dr. Hart on that one. I, I've, I've not seen changes, but I'll ask Dr. Hart if he has insight there. I, I can't see that I've seen a radical shift. It can be a challenge for academic institutions to um, move into value-based care because of other limitations and 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 how those centers you know typically function. I've had conversations where I think those of us that are involved in this space hope that academic centers will embrace this and look at um, you know how best to train the next generation of physicians. Because as you know, Secretary Azar has said, you know, the genie's out of the bottle and, and this is really the way healthcare is going to progress in the future. Secretary Azar, question for you. You know, we've seen flexibility since um, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, such as telehealth, hospital at home. Those waivers have been extended beyond um, until the end of 2024, beyond when the PHE is going to end in presumably in May. Um, what might this mean for interwell and kidney care in general? I mean, do you see those flexibilities continuing beyond 2024? And, and do they need to? Uh, I don't see how those flexibilities don't continue beyond 24. It, it, it is the way medicine has to be practiced now. Um, COVID, the National Emergency Declaration, the flexibilities that I created under, under those powers, um, it it brought so much of how our providers are able to practice medicine and interact with patients into the 2020s, where we had been stuck in many cases back in the 1960s. I mean, little so issues like um, the relationship initiation and does it have to initiate first in a, with an in-person interaction before you can engage in telemedicine? What an antiquated notion. Uh, the notion that um, it needs to be video only as a platform as opposed to audio only. Well, many individuals don't actually have high-speed video connectivity for doing telemedicine. They can't afford that. They don't have access to that. That was a key learning for us was you need to actually have the flexibility to allow for that audio only, the telemedicine initiated interaction. I think if I think if we do not figure this out to create long-term structural reform, allowing for these flexibilities to be permanent, to allow 
patients to engage with the health system the way they want to, I, I think there'll be a revolt among patients, I, I, not just among providers, but among patients. They've gotten used to this. Um, it's been antiquated that we haven't. A lot of it is based on false prejudices, frankly, that were built into the actuarial systems that assumed that any telemedicine or any home-based services would be just another way of turning the crank on the procedure-based system, just another way to generate more procedures and more revenue um, by, by, add, by being additive to in-person visits. What we saw through COVID and the data is being published in peer-reviewed journals is that home health and telemedicine have actually been substitutive, not additive, and are adding, and are, are, so are, can, can at least keep costs the same, if not decrease cost, instead of, as it always been assumed, having to score it as costing a lot more money. What I love about value-based care, the reason I love institutions like Interwell and love what we're doing more broadly with value-based care is when you pay providers on a capitated basis, instead of on a procedure by procedure basis, you get out of Medicare having to regulate how you deliver that service. The provider places the bet. And so if Interwell feels that in-person visit at the office is what matters most, then so be it. If you can deliver that care more efficiently by telemedicine at a lower cost, so be it, um, because you're owning that cost. You're owning those interventions. You're placing, if we want to call it, you're placing those bets with your money, the capitated payments that you're getting, um, and you're betting on different interventions. I mean, this for me is also the longer term solution to social determinants of health, because again, you enable the, the providers and the patients to work together to solve the issues that are actually driving healthcare and the high cost healthcare interventions and costs. Sort of you solve the, the old penny wise pound foolish aspect of our federally regulated healthcare system, the procedure based system. Dr. Hardiman, and pivot to you. Um, so much of the success of your program revolves around care coordination, keeping the physician at the center, but also including support at home. What are those home supports other than what we might be thinking about? Does that include home health care? Does that include things like transportation, social determinants of health, as Secretary Azar just alluded to? So, Fundamental to Enderwell's approach to how healthcare is delivered is partnering with nephrologists. And to do that, you have to create a relationship with these nephrologists and have them get comfortable that any care navigation services are going to be performed in conjunction with the nephrologist goals. And we work hard to do that. In many cases, we actually uh, implant a care coordinator in the practice. He or she sits in the practice, they gain familiarity with all of those things. So what you have is a synergistic commitment to how to go about caring for an individual. As I was listening to Secretary Azar's comments about um, the remote patient care and, and, and how we approach that, it's fundamental to how we do care navigation. The system is built on the ability to communicate with patients in their home, uh, in, in whatever setting they're in, and to do that in whatever way works for them. Believe it or not, sometimes communication is still by the old-fashioned mail system, so we have to take advantage of that. The patients that can use an app, let's 
let's build them the tools they need to be able to communicate. And we have that ability with my chat uh, at Interwell. We have the ability to make phone calls. We have the ability to do this through uh, a platform like, like we're doing right now. All of these work, but they don't work for every patient. So you have to have the flexibility and the capability to reach all kinds of patients. You know, we take care of patients that are young, that are older, that are in Medicare programs, that are in commercial programs. So you have to have that kind of flexibility and you have to have the ability to do it on a broad scale. And does value-based care allow you to do that and not have a one-size-fits-all approach? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, as Secretary Azar said, it's it's this risk that we take and the bet that we make on ourselves that allows us to think outside of the box and try and come up with solutions that are not addressed in traditional fee-for-service. Secretary Azar, we talked a little bit about regulations and we've seen over the past couple of years with hospital at home and um, telehealth. Um, Looking forward, what couldn't you see from either a legislative or a regulatory basis that could further advance moving healthcare into the home? Well, I, I think as we talked about, we're going to need to make sure that the COVID flexibilities that we learned from are made permanent as part of the flexibilities that providers have. We need to make sure that we stay on this journey of value-based care that we've been on really since Secretary Mike Levitt got us started in the Bush administration. It carried forward through the Obama administration. And the the message I had as secretary was I'm changing the rules so fundamentally and the approach is so fundamentally that there will be no going backwards. Yes, there'll be some that lag and we're going to meet providers where they are in terms of their level of sophistication, the tools they've got. But that's going to happen. And so we need Congress and the administration to continue with the move towards paying capitated amounts for for quality health outcomes, value-based care over time. Um, We need to make sure that both Congress and and CMS um, are good business partners um, because these are economic relationships and physicians, hospitals, they they are having to run businesses. They have to meet payroll. And so they need business partners who are who offer predictable financial incentives and relationships. So that's a very important part. That was of of how you do this. That was, I think, the major change, as we saw on Medicare Advantage from the Medicare Plus Choice program in the 90s, which was so popular and yet was falling apart. And then in Medicare Modernization Act, we changed into the Medicare Advantage program and made it a much more predictable, actuarially based program. So businesses could be built around a financing mechanism. And I think value-based care needs that same type of steadiness, predictability, quality relationship. So that would be another thing I'd look forward to as a key enabler for the future. Dr. Hart, your thoughts? I mean, I couldn't agree any more with what Secretary Hazar just said. I think the 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 ad that I would have here is that um, Interwell, at its core, is designed to help physicians move from volume to value, and to be able to stay independent, and in doing so, deliver the kind of care that, frankly, most of us always wanted to deliver in the first place, but haven't been able to adequately because of some of the constraints in a fee-for-service world. Look, I left my practice where I'd been for 30 years to chase this dream 
and to get to work with some of the people that I get to work with now. Um, I, we're committed and, and we're going to see this through to the end because we really do believe, you know, this is where the future is going to be. Okay. Uh, former Secretary Alex Azar, Dr. George Hart from Interwell. Thank you both so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Take care. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.